Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion that from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. Yeah. All right. I've got a bus. You've got a bus over here. Yeah, we're, we're over my house again. got a bus. Didn't like the bus. There was no one, there was one other person wearing a mask on the bus and there was a drunk man telling us all off for wearing, telling me and one other person off for wearing masks. Do you think people feel bolder now? Now that sort of the official measures are starting to wind down you think that people are going to start going we've got to get back to normal he didn't seem like that he seemed 100% like someone who'd been drinking in the sun and he would have been shouting about anything <laughs> like it would have been something that he would have you know you know what it's like when you get on a bus around that time mm. and if some you know there's, if there's someone going to be shouting something it's just the flavor is rona and masks <laughs> because that's the time we live in um it would have been something else if you know i don't know god but yeah, it took a long time to get here, which is weird. It's like, it's funny because I can walk here mm. in about 40 minutes. Yeah. I can get the train here and the walk into the station and then the train and then the walk in at the end takes about 29 minutes. I think. Yeah. And if I get the bus, it takes about 40 minutes. <laughs> it's, I mean. But the... I couldn't walk because la- last time I came here, I walked after leg day, but I'm never doing that again because I thought I was going to die. I thought I was just going to collapse somewhere. Like around the high street and just be like, Adam, we're recording from the car. <laughs> we're recording from outside Lidl's. Yes. In the flower aisle. Yeah. I would have made it into Farm Foods. Oh, it's cold. okay, yeah. It is colder. Fair yeah, enough, just, yeah. I crawled into the frozen vegetarian section. <laughs> now that Iceland's gone. Is it gone? Yeah, that Iceland's gone down the high street. Farm Foods is better than um, Iceland anyway. Where are you oh, going to get your tinned burgers? Your tinned burgers and your packets of biscuit misshapes. You make a good point, but the last time I went into Iceland, they did have those double pizzas. Uh, but also... You know the ones with the sweet chilli sauce on the when inside? When you first moved to London and you were living with me for a while, me and you pretty much lived on those like £3 um, hosting crispy ducks. They were <laughs> yeah, like they were really frozen crisp, uh, Like frozen half a crispy duck for £3 with the sauce and the pancakes. We were eating so many of them. <laughs> Just like the Chinese. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I've got the bus. I don't think I'll get the bus again. I'll get the tube next time, I think. Hmm. Maybe I'll get one of those electric scooters. I've seen a lot of them about I've almost lot, dying. I've seen a lot of grey-haired men uh, riding those electric scooters mm. around. You can't, I can't help it. I don't want to judge, but like, you, you can't help but get a little cringe. Well, they seem better than... Do you remember? It was years ago. We were walking on the north bank of the Thames. I can't remember why we were walking there. But there was a guy who was literally reading something, and he had a he was reading his phone, and he had a briefcase in one hand, and he was on a monowheel. Oh, yeah. and he just went right past us, and it took us a full like five minutes to fully register the weird thing that we just seen. He's on the go. Yes, <laughs> just you know one of those go gets where they earn so much money, why they deserve to earn so much money, because <laughs> he's playing his gacha games while on a monowheel. I can't play a gacha game while on a monowheel. I don't even play gacha games. That's why I'm not a millionaire. I like. Uh, I I went out for the first time without a coat uh, mm. this week. Mm. Um, first first bare arm summer mm. because I have incredibly pale skin and I will burn like the crispy ducks we were mentioning a few <laughs> minutes ago if I go. Usually if I go out, but I went out. Went on this like jumble trail around the neighbourhood. And speaking of grey haired men with scooters, <laughs> um, yeah, you can really. There was this like jumble trail around here, and you can really tell. 
like I haven't lit. I I haven't been round here enough, but I know enough of the like signs and the tropes to like recognize a gentrifying area. Let's yeah. say, yeah. and going around and seeing like a beautiful like table of boxed PC games, Beanie Babies, and you know <laughs> instruction manuals for Windows ninety five. Yeah, um, and then going to a neighboring house and just seeing you know the wire box set and you know the kite runner both book and dvd <laughs> on the same table and it's like yeah you know what you've done the house prices around here yeah this area really was gentrifying when they fenced off the bird swamp and called it the called it a bird sanctuary rather than the bird swamp which is what it was and what it what it will always be you mean the wetlands yeah but it was a bird swamp before and it's still a swamp <laughs> It's still a dirty swamp. Although when they um when they fence it off, I imagine you're not allowed to just have horses around there anymore because there were like you probably yeah because you weren't in London then there was it was quite common to have horses just hanging around there. You know like um there's the water reservoir near where I walk the dog. Oh yeah, up near the North Circular. Yeah. Used like years ago when Lily was a little one, um sometimes there'd just be horses there. <laughs> just, <laughs> just wild horses. No, not wild horses. They're probably um, travellers or farmers and just like mm. tied them up for like a couple of weeks to like <laughs> eat that grass rather than their precious grass. I don't know why you tie up horses in other places, but people do it all the time. But yeah, it used to happen a lot around there. It's why there's cattle grates around there. Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, not just to keep out the muntjac. <laughs> but yeah, what's, what's, hap- what's been happening in the last two weeks? We've been hot, which is... I've been really enjoying. I'm kind of into the heat now. You like oh. it? Because for a long time, you were a cold boy. Yeah, he's walking the dog. I quite like uh, being out with the dog in the sun, and he's so happy. And that's really nice. Um, so, you know, walk down the canal. I saw a weird canal boat. I think, I don't know if I said it before. It was like a canal boat, and it was literally under a bridge, and it was covered in, like, bits of scrap wood, and it was advertising shamanic experiences in this boat under a bridge. Yes. I don't know, it looked like a <laughs> sketchy boat. Like, I'm not sure if I want to go into the... the Boat to take well, do you think? Do you think he's on the boat because he's been moved around from other shamanic shamanic <laughs> parishes? You know, but also, is it, it's what the of, head shaman does. Is it? It might be a particularly powerful area, but it was like it's in the shadow of the Olympic Park. <laughs> incredibly, an area of incredibly powerful evil. Yes, <laughs> um, like you could see this the helter skelter. Um, but yeah, there was. Um, oh yeah, that's the thing that's happened. Um, there's the Putin Biden thing. I watched some of that. I watched Bi- I watched Putin um, engage in what aboutery is what the journalist said when they brought up him arresting opposition people and him saying America does the same. And he brought up um, like Guantanamo. And it's like, oh, I see. What aboutery? I expected more from you, Putin. <laughs> That's a bizarre, like, what? What they were asking? They were telling they were him off arrested, about Navalny. They were telling. They were telling. Yeah, they were telling him about about arresting um, Navalny, right? Yeah, yeah. And the ultra nationalist, as yeah. we've learned from the Call of Duty games, yeah, the most dangerous kind of <laughs> Russian, an ultra nationalist. Yeah, their nationalism is so powerful. It was kind of funny. Um, the first thing he said is Navalny knew what would happen if he came to if he came back to Russia. He knew he'd be arrested. He wanted to be arrested, and so we arrested him. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. That's so bold. Yeah. You can't ever hate Putin that much, can you? <laughs> Well, he's, he's like, you know, from a distance, he's like, it, when you just watch these things and don't have to interact with any of the horrible things that he oh, does, yeah, of course, it's, just, yeah. it's just kind of funny. Um, and it is kind of, it's that thing, it's like, um, it's always funny when someone, like, doesn't just immediately bow to the Americans. 
like watching the Swiss leader like welcome them both and then send them into a room that he was not invited into. And it's like, yeah, that's right, go away, Swiss man. You're worthless. You've got no nukes. That's why you don't get to go into the secret room. Yeah, but have you seen like the Swiss? They've got those mountain those mountain passes. They're going to collapse if they ever get targeted by an ICBM. I don't know. <laughs> they could just crawl into the mountains with their goats. Yeah, assume there's goats. But um, and the other thing is, yeah, um, Dominic Cummings is. Um, I'm hoping it's going to become a regular thing of him. Oh, he's releasing, slowly leaking. releasing WhatsApp messages before PMQs, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. They um, love it. They fucking love this. Oh yeah, it gives man. The this is the this is the, to, like, the gift. Onto. Yeah, um, and there's the. It is really telling. I think it says everything you need to know about Matt Hancock. If you hadn't already made up your mind from when he tried his hardest to cry and all he could pull out was a smile. Oh yeah, he sort of smiled and wiped one eye, didn't he? Yeah. Um, because he's seen that on TV. His coaches told him... It's a proper bold move as well. Like You've got to think that someone in the back is going, no, don't try it. No. For God's sake, Matt, you're 53. Don't <laughs> try it at your age. But So all these messages come out of like the Prime Minister saying, he's hopeless, he's fucking hopeless, he's mm. stupid, he's fucking it all up, he's terrible. Um, and then people bringing it up in Parliament, and it doesn't phase him at all. There's... Because nothing phases him. Because he's not really human. It, it it's would... like he's that level of... Um, he knows it's never going to hurt him. Like, the worst that can happen to Matt Hancock, literally the worst, is he will be removed in a reshuffle. Hmm. And then he will earn more money on the board of something. Yeah. If he's not already on those boards. Yeah. I, I, I read some of those text messages um, today and kind of didn't really pry into them that deeply. But it is kind of striking that Boris Johnson talks... Exactly the same when he presumably thought it was being confidential. If it is confidential, of course, unless this isn't just like 3D chess to set up Matt Hancock just being removed, as you say. Hmm. Um, But he talks in exactly the same way. Like, there's kind of the buzzwords and, and some of the detail, but he's he's only talking in terms of, we've got to solve the Thing, oh, you thing mean I'm coming to the way he talks? Like it is interesting. Whenever like Boris see... talks in the same way, and oh, Cummings no, talks in the same way like, as well. Pretty much just like they're, they're pretty big we've just got to get it done. The government needs to take. Is it the government needs oh, yeah. to take control of the government? Which I, I definitely understand exactly what he means. Hmm. But like he talks ex- in exactly the same way whenever he's supposedly being candid. Hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's um. Uh... But then the thing is, it's hard to imagine any there will be any kind of comeuppance because this week it's like it's how how many years since Grenfell and nothing. What happened with Hillsborough? What and then that thing with the um that PI that got killed. Uh, Daniel Morgan. Yeah, yeah. The reports come out. We may do something about that in the future. Um, but yeah, so like all that happens and nothing's going to happen about it. Mm. So like I can't imagine anything's ever going to fucking change. God, this country sucks. Where could I move to? It's nowhere good. I get super into sumo, though. I can move to Japan and just get super into sumo. Try and ignore all the bad shit about Japan, of which there is a lot, and just be, like, super into... Be more into anime and more into sumo. Oh, I mean, if anything, if they're lacking anything, it's, you know... <laughs> white guys moving white, over White to... guys moving over to Japan for the anime. <laughs> Or I could go over to become a sumo. You'll be a rare. <laughs> yeah. that, what's it? Um, Chaco... I don't think they're lacking that either. Although most of them are like Dagestani. Um, there's that big Georgian guy. Mm. Um, but like I could go. I, that was it. Chanko Nabe, the big 
the big sumo stew. That looks fucking amazing. <laughs> I could just do that. I could, well, my plan is to go over to Japan, watch anime, and just get fat. <laughs> that is also a plan. And never learn Japanese because then I'd understand the politics. And then I can be free. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this week we're going to talk. There were two articles that came out that drew our attention. There was an article about Boris that we'll talk about in a bit. And there was an article about um, Kim Ledbetter, who is running in Batley and Spen for the Labour Party. She became the candidate under, let's say, suspicious circumstances, in that she was not a member of the Labour Party for that long before suddenly being the candidate. Oh, invasive trot, eh? <laughs> Entryism, eh? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so first thing that is interesting is this article was a Sun exclusive. Yeah. Um, we which... should mention also she is the sister of... The oh, yeah. That will be mentioned in the article because it comes out... I don't out... know, if, you, I don't know if, if anyone knows this, that uh, Kim Ledbetter <laughs> is the sister of the murdered MP Joe Cox. So that's the murdered MP Joe Cox, and this is her sister. Mm-hmm. And her sister was... Not her sister anymore. She's She passed away because she was murdered, the murdered MP Joe Cox. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so... Very telling that, you know, we've seen the choices of where Keir Starmer wants to talk, be it LBC or other right-wing organisations. And I've seen that there's bound... I bet you that on the the unnameable channel that we will not be talking about, although 48 hours to say technically it's a femophilia, it's very funny. Um, I know that Labour MPs have been going on that. Yeah. Um, I think Barry Gardner went on There's been... There's... Oh, good Lord. Because, you know... Maybe he was told he'd be able to say whatever he wanted about Modi and he could turn up and talk about how much he loves him. There's definitely been this, like... I wouldn't say it's been full-throated, but it's definitely been this, like... Somehow both reckless and cautious attempt to say, look, we're not like we was. Mm. We can talk to The Sun and The Mail and The Telegraph and LBC and all of these things that fucking hate us. But they did before. Um... <laughs> No, but you know what I mean. They didn't do it under. They didn't do it under the previous administration. They fucking did. Yeah, well, most. Yeah, most of them did in a a personal capacity, but they're now using it as part of their like. No, I think pretty much members of the their their Labour pitch. They weren't doing it as a Labour Party pitch before. They were doing it for personal, personal axes to grind. No, I don't think all of them. There were quite a lot of ones who were sent there. Who like they were. They had. It was like, I'm not saying happens, they didn't talk to the sun at all. No, what happened? I'm just saying LBC that does this thing. It wasn't part of a larger project to kind of, in their eyes, rehabilitate the Labour Party. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're making they're making more of an effort to do it. But you know, the sun is a terrible choice for any Labour MP to go yeah. to, or prospective Labour MP mm. to give an exclusive to, mm. because you know, for the many reasons. But anyway, so this article, Joe's legacy. My sister Joe Cox would want me to crack on and embrace life, says Kim Ledbetter as she stands as MP. Okay. So, so that's first mention. You right. probably keep counting I mean, how many times. She is fighting to win the very constituency where her sister, Labour MP Joe Cox, was murdered by a right-wing terrorist in the run-up to the 2016 Brexit vote. Joe, 41, was shot in the head and chest, and as she lay bleeding in the street, her attacker, a Nazi sympathiser, stabbed the young mum 15 times. No mention of him saying, you know, Britain first. <laughs> Britain first, or I read this in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> 
The son told me to do this. <laughs> I was sent here by... Not, not specifically, but, you know, yeah. having laid the groundwork for allowing me to do this. Yeah. Um, one week tomorrow, it'll be exactly five years since Joe was killed as she walked to a meeting with constituents in Bristol, West Yorkshire. Um, she says, I remain inspired by what I think Joe would want me to do. She would want me to crack on with life and embrace it with all my heart, and that is what I'm trying to do. This is her only selling point. Mm. This is like, we made a joke about it, it's literally her only selling point. I feel um, like there should be a Gabrielle song playing behind it. <laughs> um, when former Coronation star Tracy Bravin stood down as MP for Batley and Spen after winning last month's election to become Mayor of, the West, of West Yorkshire, Kim, 45, chose to stand for Joe's old seat. Um, there is no mention of Tracy Bravin's politics. Yeah. Which were firmly on the left of the Labour Party. Yeah. Um, she was in the Socialist Campaign Group. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, of course, there's no mention of that. Also, she chose to stand for it. I can... I'm pretty certain she was asked to. She would have been approached and yeah. asked to. It wasn't a thing that she decided that she would rush to do. Mm. Um, exercise company boss Kim has no background in politics, which, you know, they fucking journalists love that shit. And as a personal trainer, was once best known in Batley for her, her, for her aerobics class. Reveals it was a massive decision, by far the biggest decision I've ever had to make. Now, aerobics. Mm. I'm never going to trust someone who does it. <laughs> that is too much. There's cardio. also quite a big. There's also quite a big gap between owner of an exercise company, <laughs> which, I, as I understand, it's not like a small. It's not one studio, right? It's a, an actual company. I don't know. I had a little look and I couldn't really find anything. But, but you know, it doesn't make her seem like she's holding the aerobics classes in the village hall. Do you know what I mean? No, she's not. She she won't be poor. Mm. <laughs> um, we talked it through as a family, and as you would expect, before I decided to put myself forward, initially we were all. Yes, you should do it. You'd be amazing. You would be great, based on her aerobics experience. Obviously. Ah, right. Um, and then we when all she went... had the aerobics class at her mercy at the end of the session, <laughs> like she's finished torturing them <laughs> with stepping. Yeah. Um, and then we all went, whoa, whoa, whoa! That's a ridiculous suggestion. Why would you even think about it? And then we pulled right back again. Do you know what? If you don't give this a go, you may well look back and regret it, and that would be really upsetting. It would be upsetting for me if someone who doesn't love this community in the way I do gets this job. I'd be really worried that would do damage. Now, they all say that. They all want to do well for the local. You know what I mean? It's that standard mm. thing of like the the, especially the ones that's that are like a standard Labour parliamentary candidate, ones who are on the right of the party. They always say the same things. Yes, I'm here to make the area nicer, mm. and it's like that's never going to work because normally it's in a Labour council, so all the bad things are your fault as well. Oh. <laughs> um. Some other nice little things about her. Um, they mentioned that Batley and Spen um, has been Labour for, for the last 24 years. Although it's not strictly Redwall because it was... Oh, do they actually say it's not Redwall? Yeah, they say it's not strictly Redwall. Right, Redwall okay. adjacent. I was, I was preparing to pounce. No. I looked up Batley and Spen earlier in the week and uh, did, did some reading around it. And it's like, yeah, it... When you say something, there's been a lot about that with the Red Wall of mm. like saying this constituency has been Labour for 25 years, and it's like so since 1997 then, mm-hmm. because that's what 24 years ago is. Yeah, and you know before that it was uh, Conservative mm. for like 14 years. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it, it that's not as dyed in the wool as you might imagine, and the heritage of Labour party support there. Is it is not so guaranteed as to have like 
a simple narrative like ex industrial working class lose faith with Labour. It's like, no, they've gone back and forth from Labour and Conservative. And that happened with a load of different seats. Yeah, exactly. Um, Kim, whose first job was in sales, flogging beds, mm-hmm. adds, We have always been a glass half this full. This is the Sun Lads, all yeah. right? So we've bear al- that in mind. We've always been a glass half full family, always looking for the positives, always finding something, some light in the darkest of times. All right, yeah, fine. I mean, but what? Um, they do clearly mention that it was a Tory seat for 14 years before 97. Right. So, and I think, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think, you know, the majority has been slowly going down. It strikes me that the sun is not the main purveyor. I don't read the sun. Hmm. Of course I don't. But it strikes me that in my head, the sun doesn't have to be the main pusher of the red wall no, it doesn't. narrative. No. Do you know what I mean? Not many people are that interested in, in that kind of thing. They can leave that to other papers. And that it yeah. strikes me that it doesn't actually matter that much to the sun and the kind of constituency it's going for. Mm. You yeah. Know? We'll get to the bits, what, the, what you know, the sun thing's really pushing in a minute. Yeah. Um, local concerns are far more prosaic, she adds. Oh, because she says that Brexit doesn't matter anymore. Right. And she said, local concerns are far more prosaic, she adds. Even though Batley is a mixed constituency of people from lots of different backgrounds, the issues are very, very similar in terms of traffic and potholes and speeding and antisocial behaviour and fly-tipping. What we call low-level issues, but actually can have a massive impact on people's lives. It is a Labour council. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is not her job. This wouldn't be her job to fix. No. Um, It would be her job to advocate. Yeah. But this this is the whole problem with, bit like... Being an MP must be a fucking terrible job if you actually give a shit. Yeah. Because you are placed exactly in the middle of where you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. If, you're a, if, you, if you get up to be a, a minister, you have no time to devote to that local area. If you're a backbencher, there's nothing you can really do other than advocate and you can't do that for everything. Mm-hmm. And if you, you're, you're not actually responsible for anything, you're responsible for representing them in Parliament. Yeah. And if you're not in like the ruling party, there is literally nothing you can do. If you're in the ruling party, there's not really anything you can do. Yeah. It's I, so you're kind of like a glorified like citizens advice bureau with the worst corporate job in the world <laughs> because your advancement is not based on absolutely anything that you do. In fact, it's usually inverse to the job that you do. <laughs> yeah, it does sound fucking shit. Um, but to complicate matters, Brexit supporting former Labour MP. How long do you have to be former Labour MP before they stop? How long does it have to be if you leave left the party? You will be a former Labour MP for the rest of your life. Because like Luciana Berger isn't former Lib Dem. Yeah, because she'll be Labour. a former Labour MP for the rest of her life. Chaka Ramuna, the same. Hmm. Every single one of them. Um, Brexit supporting former Labour MP George Galloway, now standing for the Workers' Party of Britain, has joined the fray intent on luring Muslim voters away from Labour. As he did with the Respect Party at elections in Bradford West and Bethnal Green. Respect a recent party, estimate from the Muslim ago. Council puts the number of Muslim voters set to turn out at ah, around 8,600. There we go. So, there we go. Right. There's my son. There we are. Because um, I noticed it was another election, it might have been the last by-election, where they said how many Jewish voters there were. I really mm. feel uncomfortable with them telling me the ethnic backgrounds and the amounts of them. It's like, well, we've got our lists. And on this side, there well, are... ever since Tower Hamlets, um, it's been okay. Ever since like the Tower uh, hmm. Lufa Rahman was um, struck off, yeah, it's been okay to 
list Muslims, and specifically only Muslims, and suggest that they are a block vote. Hmm. But they started doing it with Jews as well, because they've said, like, you know, this might be half a Labour because there are this many Jews and they all hate Labour. But there's not... They ma- all love Israel. But there won't be as many Muslim voters who are individually interviewed and... Oh, yeah, and God they no. go for that, Oh, God you know? no. yeah. I did see it was a very funny tweet the other day about the fact that um, somebody was... I think Justin... Uh, what's his name? Patrick Maguire or someone, mm. reporting about how... Um, Labour MP, like Labour sources are reporting to me on the doorstep that everyone's just talking about Palestine <laughs> and that Labour are really worried because George Galloway is able to get around there faster. And it's like, what? He's got a big car. <laughs> no, he's on one of those little scooters. <laughs> yeah, he's on the easily man with the grey hair. Grey hair. <laughs> uh, on his electric scooters, scooting around there just before. <laughs> Telling them all about Palestine. <laughs> um, Someday I'll catch that Galloway. <laughs> Just Labour Party officials running around with a big net. They've <laughs> trying been trying to, to get him as he for goes 20 past years. On scooter. <laughs> um, asked what she thinks about the Galloway Circus. Kim says that is a pretty accurate word. There are going to be sev- there are going to be several people who will come and stand in the by-election, and sadly, some will want to sow division. They will want to try and divide our communities. Uh, I may right? have I may have talked about this before, right? Yeah, but. I hate it when elections sow division, when you have to choose one side or the other and then stick to it no matter what. Mm -hmm. What the fuck do you think an election is? Mm -hmm. That is a literal division. People not not being able to come to a consensus decision on a takeaway is seen as acceptable. But people not being able to come to a consensus decision on how their lives should be run, that's seen as completely unacceptable. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, ah. it's part of it's part of the toolkit, and from yeah. what I can hear so far, this is it's just the toolkit. Yeah, it is. Carry on. Um, my job is to try and rise above that and focus on the issues local people care about, because when that no, circus disappears, we all have to live here, and I will still be living here. The media will go, the cameras will go, the people who don't live in Batley and Spen will go, but my family and friends and the amazing people of this area will still be here. Um, Galloway has been his usual ebullient, ebullient. Ebullient, yeah. Ebullient self, and claimed in an online video recently that the by-election could be the death knell for Labour's relatively new leader. He's not relatively new, he's been for a while now. If Keir Starmer loses this by-election, it's curtains for Keir Starmer. It probably is. If he loses this one, they will move. They will move to the next one, because his only thing is, I'm the winner, and his approval ratings are now lower than Jeremy Corbyn's. Nah. No, they will. They'll, they'll, wait. Nah. they'll let him... They'll let him soak up some more of the poison. They'll let him. But they'll get rid of him. If 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 this if this streak continues to last into next year, Mm. then you might have a point. I don't Mm. think they're going to let him go while restrictions are still up. Yeah, that's what I mean. They'll let him have some more poison. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, Yeah. have Um, some more Rona. Fill him full of Rona. Kim has some feelings. She brushes this off. Keir took over the leadership at a really difficult time during a pandemic. You're not able to go out and meet people. Brian Rose did. Um, you're not able to do the legal fine for it because he believes <laughs> you are not able to do the full workings of Westminster do proper Prime Minister's questions I thought he was doing brilliantly at that though not do pro- how, how does Rona prevent you doing Prime Minister's questions there'd be more people jeering that's Pe- not the point of Prime Minister's questions it is though. exactly the point of Prime Minister's questions and you but you're not it. supposed to admit it <laughs> everything that goes with that and so he has had a really difficult time in that regard ooh ooh I think he's provided stability. He has done stability. Well, yeah, because he's abs- offered absolutely nothing to push the government over. He is in exactly the same he's position. He's another now leg of the government stall. Yeah. Um, he has done a very. He's done very well at holding the government to account when it has been needed. Has he? 
I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know that it matters. And here we come to the reason why she's allowed to have an interview in the sun. Right. That being said, she does not have her head in the sand when it comes to Labour's fundamental problems. Kim, who grew up with Joe in... Heck, Joe, that's Joe Cox, the yeah. murdered MP Joe Cox. Murdered MP Joe Cox? Yeah. Who, how is she related to her again? Sister. Oh, fuck. Right. Grew up with Joe in Heckman... I'm sorry, Northerners. Heckman Wick. You, this country is just full of stupid names. Heckman Wick or Heckman Wyke. The North. Two miles from Batley. Adds Labour needs to reconnect to its original base. The people who voted Labour all their lives, but over the last maybe five years or so, have kind of felt like it's not quite where they belong. Do you mean the one that they held? The way the one that they held, yes. You mean the constituency that they that they held? Yes. Uh, let me just have a quick look here. Sorry, I didn't actually. Should have really just. Do you want to know their majority? Yeah, go on. Their majority is three thousand five hundred twenty-five. Okay, it's not huge, but it's not tiny. Yeah, they still held it. Yeah. So oh, you know, when when you've held a seat like that, the point is to build off that, not to. Just saying like everyone that, who voted for I, us I like was the, a fool. I like the way that the toolkit, because that's what this is. This yeah. is pure toolkit stuff. Yeah, yeah. She was given this starter pack. Mm-hmm. When she when she, she was sent it in a little plastic envelope, mm-hmm. and she's played it perfectly, I guess. Um, but when they say, like, original voter or traditional voters, like, who do you actually mean? Because it seems to me you mean everybody. Mm-hmm. Because oh. you can't name a particular... Like, go on, go on. Okay. See, does she separate okay, out voters at all? Now, naturally, that will, um, when she's you know complaining about that over the last five years or so, they've felt like it's not quite where they belong. Naturally, that will happen over time. But we have to, we've got to do, we have got to do work listening to these people. Clearly, Brexit did play a part in that. The consensus now is we need to move forward with Brexit, but we need to make sure. You mean like Corbyn wanted to do? Um, yeah. We need to move forward from Brexit, but we need to make sure everybody feels welcome within the Labour Party. Everybody. Batney and Spen is a traditional working class selection of towns and villages that can support an aerobics company. Um, as far as I'm aware, it's a little bit more rural than you might count for a mm. traditional. The Labour Party should be those area, people's but... natural home. So we need to make them sh- make sure if they don't feel like that, why not? And what we can do to show them this is exactly where they belong. It's everybody, and they need to tell us what to do. It's that one again. It's never here is what we are going to do for you that you will like. It's, tell us how shit we are and we'll stop being shit. Yeah, we'll stop doing you specifically, mm. but there's also not specifically. Mm. It's like there's a there's a targeted appeal, mm. but then it's not a targeted appeal because it's to everybody. Mm. You can't, you cannot please everybody. If you help renters, you are going to hurt landlords. Mm-hmm. If you help landlords, you are going to hurt renters. Mm-hmm. There is no... There's sometimes there's a consensus thing on that, but it, for the most part, no. No, but how about if I offer you a manifesto of litter picking and demonising travellers? Because mm. I can give you that. I cannot give you any kind of equality, but I can give you a firm promise to have a citizens' assembly to decide on the litter picking situation, and then we're going to run those travellers out of town. I know you're going to say there's no travellers here, but there might be. So we need to find them, chase that town. And that's all I can offer you. Smash up every lay-by from here to Durham. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, She's asked if she thinks Boris Johnson is invincible. Mm -hmm. Um, The evidence suggests that the the incumbent governments have done well during lockdown. What evidence? This one has. Mm. But I think... I mean, there's other ones in other countries that have not. Various things that have happened. Trump. (laughs) Trump. 
Spanish Parliament came in. I think they've got a hugely reduced, uh, a hugely reduced majority. I think I'm the Israeli Parliament. Talking off the top of my head, uh, Israeli. That that's, that's, that's all. That's time. that's all very very different because yeah. they've been they were trying to form governments like two years yeah. ago. So it's it's slightly different. But you know, it's I if you could if you could point to one thing that what that is. That's the thing. They make these assertions and yeah. because the assertions are part of the toolkit, because they do fit in with the particular kind of kindly message and soft. It's soft. That's what mm. it is. And so I don't soft. know if they've all decided that this kind of subtle, it's not even subtle, this just very soft, timid approach mm. is what's going to work. But I don't know, man. You've seen four years of politics being supercharged. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a strong opposition but it, and it is really important during the next couple of years the Labour Party puts itself in a position where it is able to challenge the Conservative government and indeed Boris on the things that they get wrong. But they don't want people don't want you to like if you're if you're listening to everybody and people are sick. Okay, if people are sick of division and you're listening to everybody and you're trying to heal the wounds of Brexit, even though you're in no position to do that, mm. how are you supposed to provide a strong opposition? You, if you're listening to people and they saying, "Oh, I'm sick of politics. I hate all the arguing." Right? That's yeah. just a plucked up thing. How are you meant to be a strong opposition? Yeah. Um, Kim Ledbetter is without doubt an impressive woman who has taken, a, taken on a challenge, a calling, that many would avoid. To enter the lion's den of politics takes courage and Kim has bags of it. All right. And she does this against the backdrop of what seems to be increasing nastiness and hostility. How, I don't understand how, he, how she is courageous. I, like, I don't, look, like, I don't know whether she is or isn't, but there's nothing in that that, that is supposed to demonstrate it other than sister of the murdered MP Joe Cox. Yeah, and then... No explanation into... No no digging into why that particularly happened. No mm. digging into the atmosphere that led to it. Or the rhetoric, for mm. instance. Yeah. You know? Um, and then into the end. The toxicity in politics and public life is pretty horrific at times. It is tough. Yeah. Really tough. I have had lots of conversations with politicians, journalists and others over the last few years. Normal people. Mm. Just having conversations with politicians, journalists and others, um, last few years, about some of the abuse that they have faced, and it is quite awful, quite frankly. But what I would say is that all is well... To, oh. But what I would say to that as well is what Joe used to say to me. That's Joe Cox, the mm. MP Joe Cox. Oh, right. How does she know her, the murdered uh, MP Joe Sister. Cox? Ah, right. OK. If good people don't step up, then nothing will change. But that's the end of the article, and there is nothing there that tells you anything about her except her sister was killed by I mean, a Nazi. It, it, I, I, but Nazi sympathiser. Because it'd be a bit too yeah. much to suggest that he was an, an actual fascist. He sympathised. He had, he had fascist leadings. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very light piece. There's clearly someone has paid, you know, maybe not money, but mm. uh, someone, someone has done a favour there. In yeah. trying to get there, and maybe the, even the son realizes that they can't particularly go strongly after the sister of someone of like a murdered MP mm. yet. Oh yeah. But I mean, you have—I don't understand the toolkit that they have given her. Like, I don't—I don't really know anything about her. Her her performance no. seems a classic. She has reached a class and social status in life mm. as a business owner in which there were two things she could do. She's pretty comfortably off. Not necessarily super wealthy, but comfortably off enough. Mm. Um, her kids are all right. Her family's all right. And she's got a choice. She can either um, try and build her business bigger 
go into charity or become an MP. Mm. And they treat it the same way as it. It's as if you're donating to a cause. Yeah. The cause of loveliness. Yeah. The cause of togetherness. And it's like, that's not what that is. Yeah. You are fucking MP. Yeah. And it's going to be... She's not going to win. Um, it's really telling... The Tory candidate... There's a very good chance the Tory candidate's going to win. And I know Sorry. nothing about him. I saw it like a Channel 4 News. or it might, I can't remember which channel it was. Did mm. And they interviewed her... And they interviewed um, the Lib Dem, <laughs> um, for what it's worth, and George Galloway, and the Tory wouldn't talk to them. Oh, really? Because why, why do you bother? Huh. There's no need. You don't have... That's, yeah. That, if the people who are watching that do not need yeah, exactly. convincing. They're not going to be watching the Either news way. at that time. Yeah. They already know. Yeah. They already know how they're voting. They're mm. voting Tory because Boris is great, or he's not. Or they're not voting at all, and yeah. they don't care. Exactly. And, yeah, that's just... Yeah, and she's going to lose, and it's going to be interesting to see if they say it because the left wouldn't vote for her because they really hated Joe Cox or something like that. I mean, this I one, this, this one, it's the interchangeable left. So uh, you could have the like metropolitan elite London left, but of hmm. course it's in the north, so it's Muslims. Yeah, Muslims won't vote yeah. for her. Disloyal. Too, yeah, they went with Galloway, the yeah. secret Muslim on his electric bike. They yeah. will never catch him. So think, we'll never win a Muslim seat again. I really want to get into this, but is, isn't Galloway actually, a, he is actually a secret Muslim? Because he's never actually come out and said he's Muslim, right? I don't know. The thing is, okay, with Galloway, me and you don't pay that much attention to him, because why would you? Um, we might pay attention occasionally to his oh, I occasionally pay attention to him. I, I think his he's hairline. A, he's a fascinating figure. We'll, I, we'll probably do an episode on him in Yeah, but we haven't paid some attention to him much in the last few But years. there's no point but paying attention for a, to him, because he's, was... he's, he's become way more of a race baiter. Yeah. He's become way more of a... a weird unionist and nationalist yeah and way more of that thing that happens to some cranky left wingers when they what happens to cranky left wingers when they've only listened to their own voice for about 20 years yeah but there was that time years ago where (laughs) where he I love Ken (laughs) no you don't yeah I do no, but he yeah. no, but he needs to be left alone. And go but somewhere it's else. that thing. It's, the, it's, it's exactly notes. the it's exactly the phenomenon I'm describing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like the years ago, there was that thing where he he didn't drink and he was married to a Muslim and he just well wouldn't he attacked answer. his opponent for being a Muslim who drank. Yeah, that was it. It was like there was some weird. He stuff said, like that. "Oh, and I then see. Question... I see my opponent who was Muslim. Yeah, and it was, pa- but I think it was Pakistani. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, he's always. I always see. I always see him coming out of the pub." And yeah. like are saying, oh, I don't drink alcohol. Yeah, which yes. was race bait. It was it was yeah. it was tropes. <laughs> yeah, it was that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, Galloway's a weirdo. He is a weirdo and mm. not a very nice person at all. But it will be funny. <laughs> the protege of Neil Kinnock, as I believe we have mentioned in another episode. Yeah, we have. Yeah, because that man is an amazing judge of character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you were promised Boris Johnson. You're going to get Boris Johnson. Move my vape, so I don't touch it. <laughs> um, there was a an article in the Atlantic of all Ooh. places by a, a journalist called Tom McTague. Um, he's spent a number of months kind of shadowing Boris. He's been given exclusive access. I don't know if it's exclusive access, but mm. it's certainly something like that. Um, and he wrote up an article on trying to get to the interior of what the Boris Johnson experience is Um, lovely and he wrote this article um, and I thought it was quite interesting Um, god I sound like I'm giving a fucking book report at school (laughs) (laughs) the article's called The Minister of Chaos 
Boris Johnson knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I wonder what politics this man has. Would it surprise you to learn that Tom McTague uh, has a book deal uh, for a book coming out in 2023 called The Conquest, The Fracturing of Britain? How the UK has become the fractured place it now is, exiting from the EU after 40 years following a splenetic campaign for sovereignty and control that built on decades of political mismanagement and complacency. We're going to need to stop having these books, lads. Yeah. Please stop. Well, no please, one will read them anyway. Please stop. No one reads these books. They're, like, they're all read by the, their friends and the people who might employ them. The other people who are writing books on exactly the same topics. Yeah. With exactly the same flavour. Yeah. They're no Tim Shipman, R.I.P. <laughs> God, I miss him. We say that as a podcast that's listened to mainly by other podcasters of podcasts that we listen to. <laughs> but it's different because we're not paid an absurd amount of money. <laughs> We do it for the love of it. That podcast deal is going to come through one of these days. <laughs> Turn it into a Netflix show. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong, Boris Johnson said, jumping into the driver's seat of a tram he was about to take for a test ride. Nothing can go wrong. The Prime Minister was visiting a factory outside Birmingham, campaigning on behalf of the local mayor ahead of Super Thursday, a spate of elections across England, Scotland and Wales in early May. These elections would give voters a chance to have their say on Johnson's two years in office, during which quite a lot did go wrong. Johnson was, as usual, unkempt and amused, a tornado of bonhomie in a country where politicians tend to be phlegmatic and self-serious, if not dour and awkward. I don't know why you wouldn't attribute the self-serious thing to a kind of natural, like... It's a natural branch of the earnestness thing that mm. Blair did. Yeah. You know, you take things seriously. You don't, like, it's a, a separate from the kind of jokey public school persona that, like, Boris has kind of gone back to. Mm. It was, no, I am a serious politician man of the middle class and you yeah. can trust me that Blair did. And, like, also, I don't know if I necessarily agree that, like, they're all dour and self-serious. I just think that's what comes of, as we've just mentioned... Like being an MP, being mm. a kind of glorified citizen's advice bureau. Well, look what happens when you're not dour and shitty and old-fashioned, and you know you put your head up above the parapet like Jeremy Corbyn. Um, yeah, you know it's just there's that nothing to benefit if, you. If, from... if, if you look at it seriously, if they are just simply the richest man in town, or the you mm. know the, the a man who's a man or woman who's done well for themselves, and they go into this corporate job where mm. they're expected to be their own like PR, HR, administration and manage their own career yeah. and also none of that depends on whether they still have that job in four years time yeah, it, yeah, of course you're not going to take, it's a naturally risk averse and that is a consequence of the media environment that they have existed in for the last 20 or 30 odd years 40 mm. 50 no not 40 years because I think MPs in the 80s could be very different could be mind you hmm could be very different. Walking in, he had launched into a limerick about a man named Dan who likes to ride trams. The mayor, Andy Street, looked horrified. Tomorrow's disastrous headlines seeming to flash before his eyes. The limerick, I'm sorry to say, was not at all filthy. I don't believe that for a fucking second. No. Oh yeah, Andy Street, he looked terrified. Oh no, what's he going to say now? Boris is a I rebel. Wonder, I wonder how this will play in the news. Yeah. Will people kind of jokingly refer to it and giggle at it like they have literally his entire career? Yeah. Like, no, I guarantee he looked horrified because he knows what part he's supposed to play. <laughs> yeah. 
it only works if the sap's got dignity. <laughs> All aboard, he yelled, Boris, yelled, though there were no passengers. News photographers crowded around and men in hard hats stood by. The tram, British for a streetcar, I think this is mostly an American like, yeah. uh, thing, so they're explaining some things. The tram inched forward, only to jerk and shudder to a halt. That's two and a half million pounds worth of vehicle, the chief executive of the tram company told me with a nervous laugh. When Johnson finally made it round the bend and neared the end of the circuit, he slammed on the brakes and blasted the horn. Nothing went wrong, he said gleefully. And it's... He didn't this press is, the brake the tram button. This is the... Yeah. I think they're a, designed not to brake, to a, be fair. <laughs> a tram is probably the easiest thing not to brake, surely. And especially if you're not, you know, driving it in traffic. Yeah. Um, secondly, that whole image of Boris mm. wild-haired and shouting mm. and, you know, exuberant and enthusiastic, jamming on some kind of piece of machinery and hurtling forward, constantly getting that illusion of everyone around him being nervous at this ball of chaos. Mm. They're so desperate for Trump to come back. Mm-hmm. Man, they miss him so fucking much. Oh, I heard it this morning. of um, Because you know the NHS is going to use the Trump cocktail of drugs. Oh, there's steroids in, didn't it? Yeah, well, the the Trump drugs. Mm. Um, they're gonna the NHS is like it, it might it might be starting to use it or it's gone through a test. Ba- yeah. Basically, Nick Ferrari said Trump was right. Everybody say it with me. Trump was right, and then for like for like he a, didn't half an hour, it. <laughs> yeah, for like half an hour was just playing his favorite Trump moments. And it's like yeah, you're so happy because you this. love it. You yeah. absolutely love it. You fucking hogs. <laughs> you can't do without it. Mm. Nothing really could have gone wrong. The tram was limited to three miles an hour and had an automatic override system to protect it from reckless prime ministers, among others. Yeah, like Johnson's career. Um, what has Johnson ever done other than, like, that's actually risked anything where he hasn't had an automatic override break? Like, he's got his pride, which he sells and slings around anyway. You know? What has he actually risked? Like, ever in his climb... What has he risked other than one position in exchange for another? No, nothing. Like the only time he's ever had any kind of comeuppance for anything he's ever done would be when one wife tells him, I've had enough. Yeah. That's lit- that, I think that's literally it. <laughs> and, you know, there'll be a comeuppance with Carrie Simmons when she eventually says, I've had enough of whatever affairs he's having now. In many ways, the greatest risk is to be a good husband and father. It is. If anyone says that, we'll brain them in a fucking Oxford <laughs> debating trophy. Um, <laughs> do they have trophies? They must do. Yeah, must do. Look at all the trophy shops lining. Your daughter's at Oxford. Look at all the trophy shops lining the streets. She the hasn't been given any trophies. hallowed, cobbled streets of Oxford. All the Timpsons. <laughs> Timpsons <laughs> so many Timpsons in Oxford. So many Timpsons with that little guy fixing, the, that little model guy fixing the... Fixing a shoe. Fixing a shoe. It's on the seal. Um... No matter. It provided Johnson with the chance to do what he loves, to put on a show, to create a little tumult where there is none. He became famous in the late 90s and early 2000s for his appearances on popular satirical news programme Have I Got News For You. Citation Each needed time... for satirical. <laughs> Citation needed for popular. <laughs> Each time he was the butt of the jokes and also the centre of attention. Sure, fine. After he was elected to Parliament in 2001, his colleagues told him he would have to become serious to succeed in politics. After he was elected to Parliament, <laughs> his colleagues told him what he needed to do to be successful in politics. Mm. Backbench MPs, they really, people really hate them, don't they? Yes. They really don't give a shit about it. Yeah. Um, 
To spend time with Johnson, as I have done over the past several months, is to watch a politician completely indifferent to such advice. <laughs> He's so cool. He does whatever he wants. He just stands there with his, in his leather jacket, smoking a cigarette in the middle of the... by the lockers in the hallway of the school, because he just doesn't care. <laughs> He's the Jordan Catalano of politics. Johnson is nothing like other Prime Ministers I've covered. Tony Blair and David Cameron were polished and formidable. Gordon... They all went to the same schools. They're all as racist as each other and they're all as corrupt as each other. Boris just has bad hair. Gordon Brown and Theresa May were rigid, fearful and cautious. Johnson might be as well be another species. He is lively and engaged, superficially dishevelled, but in fact focused and watchful. He is scruffy, impulsive, exuberant. He is the first British leader I've seen who genuinely appears <laughs> to be having a good time. Sorry, it's... it was the scruffy but watchful. Like an owl with his hat askew. <laughs> It's like the David Davis school of watchfulness. It's like, what's he doing? He's scanning the horizon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a hawk he is watching as he downs another glass of wine and he tries to grab a train. Um, or an arse. His conversations of the public, his conversations with members of the public are peppered with, that's amazing, and you're joking, and wonderful, and fantastic, fantastic. It seems really weird to like cover it like this, talking in broad strokes terms about Blair, Cameron, and like May and mm. Gordon, and then trying to particularise something about Johnson. It's like those two are not the same thing. Like Blair did the walkarounds. Mm. Gordon Brown did the walkarounds. Gordon yeah. Brown apparently quite funny in private. Yeah. Maybe a bit stilted. But like they all do the glad handing. Mm. They all do the, the Queen Royal Tour thing. Yeah. You know? Um and like Alternately, like, Johnson doesn't come across as that when he's doing, like, official business. Like, when he's no. doing PMQs or when he's doing speeches. He comes across as a worse version. Yeah. Uh, like, if his job during Rona has been to deliver information, he does not deliver information that well. Not at all. I can't think of anything he's particularly... Like, if you're talking about politics as a set of particular skills, I haven't ever heard him coin a phrase. Like, I saw... Um, it was some kind of advert for a TV, uh, for a reality show, and it was talking about how Rona had interrupted it. It was a picture of, uh, it was the video of Boris Johnson going, "You must stay at home," and it's like that's literally the only line I can think he's coined in his two years mm. as PM. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have that, and isn't that like part of it? You would yeah. think the exuberant for the razzmatazz. You would PM, think, yeah, yeah, you would think that for the yeah for the showbiz PM for the hack journalist PM he yeah. would have more of a sense of that but he hasn't had to because he's been completely coddled the entire time mm. um, it continues his mission he says is to restore Britain's faith in itself to battle the effete and desiccated and hopeless defeatism that defined the Britain of his childhood he believes that if you repeat that it is mourning in Britain over and over again the country will believe it and then it will come to pass his critics say however say he is just leading the country sinking giggling into the sea that's such that's like not new Hmm. People talking about defeating the, talk, talk about what they mean, the old imperial aristocracy. Yeah. That's not new. Blair did that all the time. It's yeah. reheating it. Every generation since, it's not even like, every generation since Queen Victoria has talked like this. Like, it's the cry of every fucking empire child or every emigre hmm. who um, like migrates over overseas that they had to get out of Britain because of the malaise. I just yeah. can't, like, I get it. Don't get me, we've just talked about it. I yeah. get it the feeling yeah but blaming every problem on the like the hangover of the past yeah in that way when those people haven't been in charge 
the old imperial aristocracy has not, in, in the way that he's talking about it, has not been in charge for many, many years. Hmm. Going on three decades now. So, you know. Um, by now, every British subject is an expert on the matter of Boris Johnson. We know that he has an extraordinary gift for ext- extramarital affairs, that he has at least six children by three women, and that his personal finances are the regular subject of press gossip. We know that he has been fired twice for lying, once a, as a journalist, once as a politician, that he was the Conservative Mayor of Britain's left-wing capital city, citation needed on that one, um, that he helped engineer the defenestration of two Prime Ministers from his own party and that he very nearly died during the pandemic. For three decades, we've followed his writing, his ambition, his outrages, his scandals, yet the truth, for a professional Boris watcher such as myself, is maddeningly elusive. Yes, why would this person we've watched closely for three decades constantly focused on him like the character in a TV sitcom so, uh, you know, that allows a bit of colour into political commentators' lives? Why is he so successful and why do I not seem to be able to pin down this fictional character <laughs> that changes all the time if you could be bothered to notice? <laughs> And it's like, you know, like, take it, take some of these facets, like extramarital affairs. Yeah, that makes him seem more normal. Personal finances are shaky. Hmm. hmm. I wonder why that hasn't stuck. Hmm. Um, and what is it about Johnson that deserves this kind of privilege? Like, I don't remember people trying to get to the heart of David Cameron. I feel like there was a pretty accurate impression that you got that might not have captured every single bump of terrain in his character, but... You're searching for something. What are you searching for? What are you trying yeah. to find in this man whose every word has been printed somewhere? Yeah. Every, you know, his every word has been printed somewhere. He's been on TV enough, unscripted, that you know. Mm-hmm. You know. Why does he get the privilege of ha- imagining that he has these hidden depths and this, like, path-breaking character traits? You know, that now that he's at the heart of everything... You have to focus on him and him alone. And not, frankly, on the structure of a Tory party that has manoeuvred him into this position. And as frankly, for the last decade, has been positioning kind of key people in the media, has been building up certain kinds of alliances within very elite forms of communication, mm. and has now got this like multi-layered media set up around the party, and therefore him. Um, and that... Where, you know, anybody who questions not only him but the state gets a torrent of articles about them. Yeah. You know, anyone who even questions resistance to any particular form of oppression or, or uh, any particular political thing gets subject to a load of people just saying no hmm. from everywhere. You know, I think it's why, like, you know, Spiked has been so important to the formation of that particular thing because you never question, like... While you're never questioning the person exactly, you're questioning their moral character and their right to make such assertions. Yeah. Anytime you demand something, anytime you raise an inequality or an unfairness, you attack the person, but the person through a moral outlook. Hmm. You know, you, it means you're much easier, much more easily able to, frankly, repress any questioning that includes the individual or the state. Hmm. You know, you, you're not focused on either of them. And yeah, you know, like this this kind of media setup um, defends the things at a very simple level. Defends the things Tories do and like without calling them Tory, just calling mm-hmm. them common sense or whatever. And that's how hegemony works. And this kind of freedom allows Boris to play exactly whoever he needs to be, whether it's like the cosmopolitan defender of liberal values, which he plays a lot, mm-hmm. or the kind of joyous, energetic right wing 
capitalist booster. Yeah. You know, Boris's character has nothing to do with it. Boris's character and the government he presides over, they don't mesh. It's just another piece of a me- of an overall media strategy that they've been harking after for fucking decades. Mm. Uh, it continues. To his most vehement critics, he is worse than a clown, a charlatan who lied his way to the top, who endangers democracy and traffics in racism and who believes in nothing but his own advancement. He has, been a- he has been accused of triggering a wave of populist anger that he then rode to number 10 Downing Street, leaving Britain weakened and in very real danger of dissolution. When I began meeting with Johnson early this year, I didn't know precisely how he would take to interrogation. Oh, I think you should have known. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Boris Johnson would have absolutely no awareness of what it would be like to be around a journalist. (laughs) We'll get to that. His exuberance worked in my favour. I'm just an old country prime minister. (laughs) I'm not familiar with your half-alluted journalistic ways. His exuberance worked in my favour. The fact that he is a former journalist familiar with our wicked ways did not. (laughs) I wanted to understand whether Johnson was truly a populist or just popular. His argument for patriotic optimism has obvious appeal, but I wondered whether it masked more cynical impulses. Was he working in the country's interest or his own? And I wanted to see up close if he truly was, as his enemies charge, the British equivalent of Donald Trump. On this answer, Johnson would have an emphatic answer for me. So this like gives you some inkling as to why this piece is going to be fucking rubbish. <laughs> it starts with all the responsibility for making of what like making Boris and therefore his government onto himself, onto mm. his individual character, and not any examination of how the media makes him who he is. And why does he either have to be popular or populist? Like I would like to he know could this be man's both. definition of those words as well. He, it's probably neither. It's probably neither. Like, this is a huge fucking shell game that the Tories and everyone has done about mm. the result of the last election. Yeah. They, are they actually popular? They won an election. That's mm. not the same thing. Mm-hmm. The British system is specifically designed to repress as much of the popular will as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, all that Boris has proved is that, like, he's very good at pushing to the front and maybe not even mastering, but pushing to the front of a very particular set of elite institutions. Yeah. How, what was his actual path to Prime Minister? He got parachuted into uh, an MP, a constituency, yeah. right? A solid Tory constituency. So therefore, he's in the House of Commons. He's well known enough that if he's in a Tory constituency, he's probably going to get elected. Yeah. Then he's very prominent with all the media attention while he's a backbencher. So mm. he becomes a, a, a minister. Mm. He like stakes out a position for himself with Brexit, right? So he naturally gets pushed to there, so you can't ever leave him out. Any even leaving him out of the cabinet is going to be seen as like a, yeah. a, a criticism of him, right? And he's too popular, apparently. So or he has he has too many words in the word space. Yeah. So he becomes a minister. Then after he's a minister, he becomes a bigger minister. And then he slowly manoeuvres his way until he stands for a leadership contest. Mm. He doesn't stand until he's being assured to be, to be winning, by the way. Yeah. But he eventually does it, mm. and he does it over this issue that he became personally identified with. Mm. There's no element of that where he has to regularly interact with particular popular will. Yeah. The closest he got, has ever gotten, is the 2019 election. 
And there are a lot of reasons. You could potentially argue that he was popular, but I think... And the London mayor elections. <sighs> he won because of him personally rather than the Tories. Yeah, okay, all right, I'll give you that one. Yeah. Um, because he was just, like, especially then... Yes. He was just not, he was not Tory, and he was just enough not Tory for a bunch of people who in 2017 and 2019 voted Tory could have voted for him and not feel like they were being Tories. Sure, sure. Um, by the time 2017 and 2019 comes along, then they're staunch anti-racists and they voted Conservative and are now members of the party. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it continues, Johnson is leading his country through the most radical reshaping of its economy, electoral map and international role since World War Two. To Johnson's cry of faith that nothing can go wrong, critics say, no, a lot can go wrong, and very well might. Like, okay, what the fuck are you talking about? Hmm. The most radical reshaping of its economy, electoral map, and international role. Haven't seen any real reshaping of the economy. The same people are still in charge of what they call the commanding heights. Mm -hmm. It's still a fucking fully market economy with government largesse given out to private companies. No, I think you'll find it's full um, socialism because they're... Um, because <laughs> because they... the government spent some money. Because it gave some money to one of its friends, yes. <laughs> um, the electoral map, well, you know, they're about to... They are about to gerrymander They're about the to gerrymander and voter ID the but fuck that's not, out of it. that's but... nothing new. The Tories do yeah. that every time they get into power. They go like, ooh, I could get a bigger, I could get a bigger majority if we cut out that council estate and draw a big line to circle that group of farms. <laughs> the one that most makes me angry is the most radical reshaping of its international role since World War Two. We've read their policy. They're not yeah. doing any of that. No. They are going to continue to be the free market, liberal, institution, booster, NATO. More nukes. Uh, it, slightly more nukes. Slightly more nukes. That's but, not even part of it. No. Well, I mean, that is part of it. That's part yeah, of them yeah. being the liberal, the liberal world order. Yeah. They are slightly realigning some of their attentions while never actually saying they're fully going to go to war with China or Russia. But we do have a trade deal with Australia now, so we can get Tim Tams. That's, re that's a completely reworking of our relationship to the rest of the world. Going back to having a trade deal with Australia. Because that's going back to before we joined the EU. <laughs> Later in his office, I asked Johnson to imagine that he was a journalist again. How would he open this profile? <laughs> what is the key, I asked, to understanding Boris Johnson? After a few ums and ahs, Johnson replied, sheer physical fitness and hard work. <laughs> physical fitness. Because supposedly after COVID, like, he's getting fit. Well, that was a headline for about a week. Oh, yeah, and there were some images of um, him moving. Doing a push-up in a shirt and tie. Yeah, which is... Just, incredible. That's how I work out. Absolutely incredible. So good. I go down into the basement, full suit, three-piece suit, tie, done up. Half Windsor, because I'm doing squats. <laughs> I like the way it's like, it's like, oh, he paused for a few seconds, because that's the kind of thing you really have to think about before answering. Yeah. When he specifically though not for working hard. Yeah. Um, I laughed, as he'd surely hoped I would. Look, Tom, that is your challenge, he said, pronouncing challenge as if it were French. <laughs> Shutting down this line of inquiry. Like your drunk uncle at a Christmas party. <laughs> Here was the uncrackable Johnson. The oh amiability, the self-deprecation, the evasion. So there's definitely... Like, like, I wouldn't be too embarrassed to say that. I wanted him. <laughs> There's a definite thing going on here, and yeah. it's not pretty. Uh, there's a definite shared thing going on here. Not necessarily in a bad way, I don't think, for trying mm. to work out what Boris is, but like one that definitely undermines the idea that he's really going to get one over, that he's mm. suddenly going to break the man open and he's going to say Rosebud. Mm -hmm. You know? 
McTague constantly returns to Johnson's journalistic heritage, how the skills that make him unique as a politician come from his class and his previous profession. So it's like, yeah, it's because he was a journalist. That's how he's so good at lying. Me? I'm a journalist too. <laughs> um, and if you remember all the stuff that they said about Starmer, that, that he could do all the professional skills of being yeah. a politician really well. He can draft a memo. Um, the political, when political journalism started treating that kind of negative character trait, like amiability and evasion, they started treating it as an as like a less of an occupational necessity and more as the mark of a positive skill. The more politicians started doing it, mm -hmm. like this isn't just Boris being spectacularly good at lying. This is about journalists being willing to extend a capacity for lying and an enjoyment of the skill of lying mm -hmm. and evasion to politicians. That's why they do it because they enjoy it so much. Mm -hmm. He's not uncrackable, amiable, and ev evasive. Because these are not things that you say about someone who you are trying to mm. get to the heart of and trying to hold to account. Yeah, You know? You don't enjoy that. You hate it. Mm. You hate it with every soul. It's the fucking... Uh, oh, what's his name? Alexander... What's his face? When he used to get people... Um, when he used to intern people for... Um, that left-wing magazine they used to say is your hatred pure. Oh, yeah. Uh, Miliband said, uh, apparently, allegedly, David or Ralph Miliband said, uh, David or... Um, oh, was it David or Ed? Ed Miliband yeah. said, well, I'm not sure, I don't really want to hate anyone. Well, Alexander yeah. Coburn, that's it. There we go. And it was Crossfire or Counterfire? I can't quite remember. It was the... Uh, to try and impress their dad, they went to work. They went to try and get a job there. <laughs> yeah. No, well, they put they were left wing royalty, so they were put up for the yeah. for the internship. And apparently, yeah. I can't remember if it was Ed or David said like, oh, "I don't really want to hate anyone." It's like, yeah. It'll be Ed. David likes to hate. <laughs> um. So yeah, he goes into talking to uh, talking about Boris's opposition to the Super League and how this makes him like this is a demonstration of how he's able to take a particular <laughs> topic and turn it into a populist cry against globalization. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is the deracination de of the community fan base, said Boris. Soccer clubs had turned into global brands and were leaving their supporters behind, taking off like a great mothership and orbiting the planet. I was struck by his use of the word deracinated to describe the particular dynamics of English soccer partisanship. To be deracinated is to be uprooted from your customs, your culture, your home. In this instance, from England. Here, Johnson was offering himself as the People's Tribune, defender of the national game from the threat of alien imposition. He was channeling a cry of anger and turning it against globalisation. I'm afraid, Tom McTague... I have some really, really bad news for you about top flight football in this country. <laughs> no, it's changed now. Um, um, the teams aren't owned by um, foreign billionaires, are they? Oh, no. no oh, yeah, by, you're right. Yeah, they're owned no, by they local co-ops. Yeah, they're all co-ops now. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Um, also, was he like... How much is that true? Again, I asked no, for I citation... Was, I, think he, I asked for citation needed generally about this rallying cry against globalisation that everybody says he's leading yeah. and that I have never, ever seen any evidence of beyond a certain reading of rhetoric. Yeah, it's just... A certain subtext. Um, the inability to get any kind of international trade deal shows that he could be either <laughs> incompetent or because he doesn't want them because he hates globalisation. Like... I mean, this has been going on for like 30 years now, the, the concept of globalisation. It takes yeah. in a lot of stuff. But like, have you ever seen anyone do anything to arrest race to the bottom, tax havens, 
brain drain, any of the things that are associated with globalisation, the bad things of globalisation. Yeah, he hasn't said anything about that. No one has ever done that. No. <laughs> um, Johnson is a strange figurehead for such a movement. The Prime Minister is at least nominally a free marketeer and the chief proselytiser of global Britain. He plays to the rootedness of Middle England, to its anxieties, traditions and national pride. But he is also a very obvious transient. <laughs> and then they go into the kind of uh, details about his life that we've talked before, how he was born in New York, moved around quite a lot, never quite fit in until he found his confidence in public school. Descendant of Jafar from Aladdin. They talk about, yeah, his uh, his 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 family, his family heritage. Um, and he notes, throughout Johnson, throughout, Johnson has stood apart from any clique, whether the modernisers who have sought to remake the Conservative Party or the Thatcherite resistance against them. Johnson has, in fact, tended to avoid the formal ties of obligation that come with being part of any group. Just like notice while being associated with all of them. Mm. It's like, you know he's friends with all of them. Yeah. Everybody not likes him, but accepts him as a part of that particular group. In many ways, he himself is the definition of deracinated. A friend of his once told me he suspected that Johnson subscribed to a pre-Christian morality system with a multitude of gods and no clear set of rules. <laughs> I put this to the Prime Minister, but he dismissed the notion. Christianity is a superb ethical system, and I would count myself as a kind of very, very bad Christian, he told as me. As he pushes all the idols under the sofa. <laughs> as he slowly tries to put out the ritual fire that he's yeah. been throwing powder into for the last three days. Jesus. Um, he told me, I think of myself as a very, very bad Christian. No disrespect to any other religions, but Christianity makes a lot of sense to me. Now, you would think that the next question in a big, mm. big think piece like this is, why? Mm. Why does Christianity make a lot of sense to you? Yeah. He's just saying it. And he's just converted to Catholicism. Yeah. We, I, I mean, notice that now he's Catholic. We've been treated to the dual wield of, we've got fub piece trumpeting some constitutional thing that discriminates against a religious group in order to get him out. <laughs> but we've also got tedious articles in The Guardian by, like, eighth-generation Irish Catholics talking about how him converting to... the Prime Minister converted to Catholicism in office makes them feel like they've made it. <laughs> fucking ridiculous. It's one of the stupidest things. And it's like, he doesn't... He's not going to govern as a Catholic. What the fuck are you talking about? He's going to govern... If like a he Tory. At all, as a Tory, as a particular kind of Boris Johnson Tory. <sighs> The one group he is associated with are the Brexiteers. Uh, largely avoids the native nativist rhetoric of the group's more extremist elements. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't matter. Because to them, extreme elements are only when it comes with an actual risk of danger. Yeah, writing no, an article. Just kind of what we, what you would call microaggressions. Yeah. No, that doesn't matter. Just the reinforcement of a racial think... hierarchy doesn't matter to these people. Yeah, through racist articles yeah. and books. Books! But, it doesn't matter whether he's... It's yeah. like it's the question of whether he's personally racist or not. It actually doesn't matter mm. because he will say as much as will get a laugh out of whatever particular room. Would an actual racist say as many racist things? Yeah. No, he's only he's secure in his not being a racist. That's why yeah. he's able to say such racist things. <laughs> Whereas Jeremy Corbyn doesn't say racist things. That's how you know he's a racist. He does believe that Britain's discomfort with its power and its history has gone too far. George Orwell once observed that Britain is the only great country whose intellectuals are ashamed of their own nationality. That's bollocks, by the way. On England's National Day last summer, Johnson released a video message urging the country to raise a glass without embarrassment, without shame. Imagine a US president needing to make the same qualification on Independence Day. I'm so fucking bored of this. It's such a fucking cliche. It's like, 
you're not ashamed of your nationality only to the extent in which that nationality is associated with an utterly cruel and domineering imperial system yes and legacy yes you know like how are you presenting him sitting there saying raise a glass without embarrassment without shame how are you presenting that as anything but exploitative and inciting hmm. because if you didn't say it you wouldn't have to say it hmm. if you weren't reminded constantly you wouldn't have to be reminded constantly about it hmm. you know yeah. you wouldn't have to try and shove it back in how do you separate like in your mind, people are embarrassed to be patriotic from they have no real little little or no real basis or guidance mm. for what this is supposed to be, for what being patriotic is supposed to be, mm. outside of like football and World War Two. Yeah. I know you are trying to guide it in these particular <laughs> directions, back towards the rehabilitation of empire and the subsequent impact that has on racial discourse and uh, co global commercial discourse, capitalism, and and deportation, immigration, but this is why it happens. It's not separate from these issues. Yeah. You are using it for a political point. Keen to squeeze more political capital from the Super League episode, Johnson stopped by a soccer stadium in town. I grew up only a short drive from Hartlepool. Maybe name the stadium if mm. you're keen on like this yeah. new appreciation for the local and the particular mm -hmm. and you grew up so close to it just say the fucking name mm. um the region was once rock solid labor party territory but conservatives have been making inroads there it was heavily in favor of brexit and it has a long tradition of contempt for the political establishment i love this as well like oh they don't suffer fools gladly and it's like yeah, yeah. no they just elect just constant fools yeah <laughs> if you're talking about contempt for the political establishment if it's just in a pub or in speech how is it expressed mm -hmm. you like everybody complains about their council all the time and yet those councils still get back in there's a separation there between the way people feel and their ability to express that politically that might be something worth you know exploring is that thing about saxons mumbling into their ale cups yeah Talking to a TV reporter, Johnson kept referring to a previous Labour MP for Hartlepool, Blair's close ally, Peter Mandelson, he as Lord Mandelson of Guacamole. Mandelson is reputed to have once confused mushy peas, a side dish served with fish and chips, for guacamole. The story isn't true, but the populist in Johnson enjoyed it so much that he deployed the nickname three more times before leaving the stadium. The joke would be hypocritical, but for the fact that the Prime Minister doesn't try to hide his own class status. It's still hypocritical. Yeah. You're criticising for someone... For someone, for for a start, it's a lie. Yeah. Um, and I'd like the way it's like lying is automatically populist because lying is incredibly popular. Yeah. Um, that's not hiding your. That is hiding your own class status. Making that joke, it's suggesting that you have less in common with Peter Mandelson than mm. you do with the people who you're making the joke to, and that's not true. You are specifically hiding it in plain sight, perhaps, but you're yeah. hiding it. Um. The Prime Minister doesn't try to hide his own class status. When David Cameron was mocked for admitting that he didn't know the price of a loaf of bread, a reporter they confronted... They never know. Well, they never know, because there's lots of like, different and there's prices. Only one, and the thing is, there's only one of... There's only... Like, Nick Ferrari is the one that always asks them. And Nick Ferrari don't fucking know. They never know. And that's... It's like such an obvious bullshit thing. It fucking... Like, it can vary. Do you know what exposed David Cameron as, as like, posh? Yeah. The fact that his wife was descended from Charles II and that he was related to the Queen. Yeah, and that the, made it. Not the fact that he didn't know a loaf of bread, because he could have checked that. On his and phone. the fact that his political priorities always trumped any kind of personal, like mm. um, class status he might have had. His political priorities echoed the fact that he clearly, 
clearly did not give a shit yeah. about immiserating and impoverishing vast <laughs> structures of this country. And yeah. most of the time, actively killing them. Yeah. Starving them to death. Mm. That he felt that he had immunity from feeling bad about that and that it was necessary for his part of the country to do that. Mm. That's what class status is. It's not just what fucking bread you buy, how whether you shop for your own milk. Yeah. Um, when David Cameron was mocked for admitting that he didn't know the price of a loaf of bread, a reporter confronted Johnson with the same question. He got it right, hmm. but then added, I can tell you the price of a bottle of champagne. How about that? It's like, that doesn't even work, because champagne has undergone the Pizza Express treatment and is now a vaguely affordable thing that you can get in Lidl's. Hmm. I literally looked up champagne in Lidl's. They were selling a bottle for 12 quid last week. The last month, I think. Sorry. You know, it can like go from like, yeah, like... 12, 15 pounds to almost infinite. <laughs> so that doesn't even work. Yeah. His electoral genius lies in his ability to stop his opponents from thinking straight. In their hatred for him, they cannot see why he is popular. Oh. Again, I say, is he actually popular? How would we know yeah. whether he's popular? You know? Yeah. The, I mean, there's opinion polls, but there's problems with yeah. relying on opinion polls. Um, I mean, no, I think you can probably say that he definitely doesn't inspire the same kind of unease and dread that you usually have when you're talking to an MP. Yeah. But that's not really a high watermark. After the interview, Johnson joined a group of players passing a ball around. Mm. Another chapter in my epic of football humiliation, he said, alluding to a much-watched YouTube video of a charity soccer match in which Johnson charged at an opposing player before stumbling and crashing headfirst oh, into the player's groin. No, oh, it was a different another one. one. It wasn't oh, one it's the rugby one where kid. he attacked a child. Johnson told the, in Hartlepool, Johnson told the players that he was better with an oval ball than a round one, referring to rugby, the sport of Britain's elite schools. Yeah, I've heard that one before. And, you know, northern industrial towns. Yeah. Rugby, completely unknown in the north. Yeah, they don't know. God, they wouldn't know what to do if you told them that you liked rugby. What mm -hmm. the fuck are you talking about? It's the, what I mean. He's desperate. Never to... known a working class left wing person who plays rugby. Or he's desperate to say that he's his own man, that he stands out, but he has no, this author has no appreciation of the subtle gradations of class and the fact that most English people and most British people, mm. just subconsciously, are able to pick up on these cues way more than just on the basis of consumption. Mm. They pick up on those cues in, yeah, in the way that you talk, but also the emphasis that you put on certain activities, the emphasis, the way you talk about your daily life. And it's a, it's a rich and poor thing. Yeah. It's not simply a necessarily finely gradated notions of class. It's you're not worried. You're more mm. confident about money. Yeah. You can afford, you're not worried about slipping up. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not naturally defensive when you're meeting people, mm. which is like, a, you know, it's maybe not everybody, but it's a, there are particular things associated He always with that. deserves to be in the room he's in. Yeah. He added that he also knew how to play the wall game, an obscure sport only played at Eton. Okay, yeah, that's, that's fine, you can say. <laughs> the Hartlepool players didn't seem to know what he was talking about. And like, yeah, that's, Okay. That is yeah. something that Johnson does seem to have down. Again, that that class confidence that we talk about. Hmm. It's okay. It's not okay to be completely aligned from people who are different than you. Mm -hmm. It's something that maybe is one of a decent little instrument that he seems to have learned. Mm. That it doesn't fucking matter. That you don't have to yeah. pretend to eat fish when you're a vegetarian. Yeah. Just because that's what you <laughs> think those people eat. Yeah. 
Those disgusting people. I, it's real bad. It's really fucking bad. Johnson and his team then set off to knock on doors on a quiet suburban street. Prime ministerial campaigning is more homespun and spontaneous than the American presidential sort, and Johnson knew next to nothing about the people whose doors he'd be knocking on. At one home, a retired couple told him they were furious about his handling of the pandemic, especially his failure to close the border as emerging strains of the coronavirus ravaged India. Two years ago, they were angry he didn't close <laughs> the border to keep out those immigrants. Yeah, I'm really sure a Tory taking shit over border controls is really going to come back to bite them. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not a problem that could be solved later. If they shelve this now, they'll never have a chance to use it in any future election. <laughs> they'll remember it. <sighs> you know, they'll st- like the Tories will be the tough border party 15 years after Starmer personally takes up into a crow's nest and t- starts taking pot shots at boats. <laughs> Um, a few days later, he would take uh, another haranguing. It was reported in the depths of the pandemic, faced with a, announcing a second lockdown, he had declared, no more fucking lockdowns, let the bodies pile high in their thousands. He has denied saying this. That's it. Yeah. You know? At the other houses, however, the Prime Minister was treated like a lovable celebrity, and it was almost taken for granted when he asked people if he could count on their support. He was twice stopped and thanked for everything you've done. Two women came out clutching toddlers. Johnson elbow-bumped the little ones and asked how old they were, then struggled to remember precisely when his own son would turn one. The mothers laughed as he fumbled for the right date, guessing three times before he got it right. Um, I just like the idea of them come running out with kids, and it's like, how old are they? And then he checks his calendar to see if he'd been through a party ball around <laughs> then. It's like, Phew. <laughs> That's a, it is something that like um, the, uh, the, the interviewer mentions um, interviewing uh, Johnson's uncle, Edmund Fawcett, hmm. who said that his shambolic manner helps him connect with people. Um, and David Frost, the Brexit negotiator, says um, he thinks what Boris does is a very cunning device. Self-deprecation is all about understanding that basically people regard politicians as a bunch of shysters. Hmm. And like, yeah, there is a truth to that. But I think it's like... You know the bumbling thing is not is not meant to necessarily it's meant to reduce fear hmm. but there's also an element in which the best the, the politicians that are called charismatic allow you to think that you're sharing on some private joke that other people don't know. Yeah. I mean that's frankly that is the basis of like quite a lot of like charisma in just any charisma yeah. in any um <laughs> in any like line of hmm. like line of work where you're supposed to interact with people it's like that's something that I do not understand why so few politicians have, you know, taken the Blair earnestness rather than the, yeah. like, private joke. Yeah. The tact. I just don't understand it. McTague goes on to list his trip-ups, uh, you know, his racism, his homophobia, lies, domestic abuse, actual theft and corruption. Threatening <laughs> um, journalists. And then, quote, that nothing ever seems to stick drives his opponents mad. Time and again, when controversy has engulfed him, he has emerged unscathed. Part of his electoral genius lies in his ability to stop his opponents from thinking straight. In their hatred for him, they cannot see why he is popular, nor what to do about it. Oh again, it's just electoral math. Yeah. It does not suggest a tactical or strategic approach on his behalf. Yeah. He is part of a ruthlessly successful party. Yeah. That's, I don't understand why you keep doing this. When I finally got to see him... It was March 2021, and the country was just starting to come out of its most stringent lockdown. Visiting Downing Street is a strange business. You have to be pre-cleared to enter, and you pass through airport-style metal detectors and then simply walk up the street. It is not a single building, but a warren of Georgian townhouses that have been connected, extended, fixed up, and perpetually tinkered with. 
Like the English state and the constitution. <laughs> hey, no. See why he's a writer. Um, behind the smart black bricks and polished front door, an air of shabbiness hangs over the place. Stepping inside, you find a high-ceilinged entrance hall where the house cat Larry is often asleep. Discarded modems sit on windowsills. Thick red carpets lie worn and uneven with bits of tape stuck to them. Downing Street is extraordinarily ill-suited to its function as the nerve centre of a modern bureaucracy. Which it's is why he's moving to the palace. <laughs> Its rooms are either small and disconnected or big and impractical. The dining rooms, libraries and servants' quarters of a different England. It manages to be most modest, both modest and cavernous, iconic and underwhelming. It is updated and dysfunctional, and yet somehow it works. It is a physical incarnation of 20th century Britain. Sort of like straining for analogy and then mm. damning your analogy by saying somehow it works. It's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, this country doesn't work. You've specifically seen in coronavirus how it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. How this country is barely held together. I think it's held together by a road network. <laughs> That's pretty much the most unified, and the internet maybe. Yeah. And the royal, maybe, not even the royal family. I well, no. Because it, it varies no, no, wildly it what people no, say. No, but the royal family is incredibly unifying, be it when everyone loves them or everyone hates them. Sure, yeah, it everyone can't stop talking thing. about it. I mean, yeah, the media, like, okay, the media. Yeah. The media, perhaps. The mm. media and the road network is mm. the, probably the most unifying thing in this country. It doesn't work. And also, like, yeah, it's a classic thing there where he says dining rooms, libraries, and servants' quarters. It's that classic straining for that analogy of saying that actually the reason why Britain is outmoded and unfit for modernity is, again, because of the old aristocracy. Mm. It's that classic trait of, like, bourgeois civilization mm. to reenact their battles with the aristocracy as if that's the old doesn't work bit that's the reason what's holding us back all of this stuff is so shabby if mm. only we got rid of it it's like have you fucking seen britain since blair mm. since 1997 the amount of tearing down and new stuff being put up and whatever happens you have to keep developing and have to keep gentrifying and uh, regenerating whatever mm. words they use you know it wasn't like if you're looking at the state if you take a snapshot right now yeah it wasn't the aristocracy who ran britain into this state it wasn't the aristocracy who held has held all the levers of power for the last 40 years it's the bourgeoisie mm. not the petty bourgeoisie the larger bourgeoisie it's yeah. ceos it's large business owners mm. and their advocates in politics but yeah whenever they're contrasting the does work and doesn't work of modern britain they always reach for that like little dusty analogy yeah. of the haunted house. In his office, Johnson steered the conversation to a subject he raised nearly every time I saw him. He'd read an article I'd written, a kind of eulogy for the late British novelist John Le Carre. Le Carre? John Le Carre. Tinker John, John Le Carre. Le Carre. John Le Carre. Tinker Taylor shoulder spy. Yeah. I, I praised Le Carre's observations about England and its failing ruling class, privately educated charlatans whom the author mocked as the greatest dissemblers on earth and I'd listed Johnson as an example. He told me he'd taken a different lesson from the novelist. To Johnson, Le Carre had exposed not the fakery of the British ruling class, but its endemic passivity and acceptance of decline. I read Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy at school, he said. It presented to me this miserable picture of these foreign office bureaucrats. For me, they were the problem. Johnson told me this was exactly what he was determined to fight. You lump me together with various other people, and you say we are all products of these decadent institutions and this culture, an inadequate and despairing establishment. That's not me. <laughs> I mean, I don't really hold with, like... I mean, I'm not sure about the concept of decadence as a, a particularly useful thing to explain, like, morality yeah. and things like that. It's quite fash. Yeah. To say that, and it's more often used to they're not used to prescribe kind of unorthodox or alternative sexualities or lifestyles or stuff like that. But if you're talking about 
a complete undermining and a lack of faith in any particular mode of principle or, mm. or living. He 100% is a symbol of political decadence. Yes. He is exactly that civil servant. Yeah. You know, I can see him becoming a civil servant and just be, like, just being that yeah. that symbol of decline that supposedly <laughs> he really hates. I mean, we've already put, they've literally already pointed out how he never commits to like one single strain of support that he coasts on by like personal charm mm. and his social position. That yeah. personally and politically, he is more than happy to abandon anything and anyone if it gets him further along this particular game. He's just been made the king of. <laughs> so. Yeah, I would say that he's indicative of exactly those older ruling classes. If good political governance in a capitalist country is working through, acting through the state for capital's best long-term interests, he and the Conservative Party clearly don't give a shit about that, mm -hmm. about that particular point of principle. If Rona's revealed anything, it's that they don't even care about the corruption that's complementary to a political programme. They just want to get away with as much filthy lucre as they can. The one member of Le Carre's establishment whom Johnson does not hold in contempt is the hero, George Smiley, who is jaded like his colleagues, but plods on nonetheless, catching traitors and serving Britain. He was a patriot, Johnson said. To Johnson, Smiley might be a cynic, but he is also a, a romantic, a believer. Isn't that you? I asked. Johnson is a romantic who urges the country to believe in itself, but who plays the political game, stretches the truth, stands against his friends and deposes his colleagues. And this makes you not a decadent? <laughs> After an initial show of mock evasion, the Prime Minister replied, All romantics need the mortar of cynicism to hold themselves up. Now that seems to be the main revelation that the author came, that came out of this article. Mm. And it's clearly the attempt to fashion lucidity out of a man who really doesn't know why he's there. Yeah. Other than the fact that it happened to be the top of something that he was around a lot. <laughs> that other people seemed to take slightly more seriously than him, but seemed very important. Well, you couldn't become king. Yeah. Well, also, like, all romantics need the mortar of cynicism to hold themselves up. It's plainly bullshit. Yeah. It's plainly something he came up with on the mo in the spur of the moment. Because, if anything, the opposite is true. Cynicism only functions with the mortar of romanticism to hold it up. Because you need to, as a cynic, mm. like, in a philosophical sense, yeah. you, need a you need something to point to as a better way of doing things. And that, inherently, if it doesn't exist, and you're a yeah. cynic, it's romantic. Yeah. It's an idealistic state of affairs you know yeah yeah so it kind of like the article then goes into kind of some of his more uh interesting like opinions about you know it, he has an opinion on the his uh, boris johnson's answer to everything is everything needs to be done with more energy and optimism that is his that is his basic main takeaway and it's such a there's no specificity there's no specific saying that he's not a decked man and he's just lounging in a, le in a chair that he's going to be so old and so levery At and he's like People need more vigor. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to fill this country with a most terrible brio. <laughs> he hasn't got the range, darling. He just doesn't have the range. Dominic Cummings doesn't have the range. Uh, so yeah, he wraps up, uh, Tom McTague's article wraps up, The duality of his character continue to fascinate me. There is the light and colour he wants the world to see, his jokes and unclouded optimism. But there is a shadow too, the darker side that most people who know him acknowledge, the moments of introspection and calculation. <laughs> Hoping for another glimpse of the more reflective Johnson, I repeated the quote, All romantics need the mortar of cynicism to hold themselves up, and began to ask him what he'd meant. I wondered, was all I was able to get out before Johnson cut in? Did I say that? He asked. How pompous of me. <laughs> 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 I 
doesn't give a shit. No. Doesn't give a shit. Just Seymour Skinner. Constantly <laughs> saying it's Aurora Borealis. Constantly saying it's an Albany dialect. <laughs> Just desperate to get Skinner out of the door. Yeah. Fucking unbelievable. There's two points I basically took from this article. And that the subtext, there's two subtexts here. There's never a sense of a counterfactual. There's never mm. a sense of what would have happened if he hadn't become MP, mm-hmm. uh, PM. Was there ever any risk of that? Because frankly, I don't think any journalist, any media personality has really ever considered that possibility from mm. probably about 2016, I'd say. Yeah. He might not have run, but if he ran, he was going to win. Yeah. And that was an inevitability. There was no other counterfactuals yeah. in there, especially now. There was no possibility he could... There was this mm. air of inevitability that he was always going to be Prime Minister eventually. Yeah. And second, secondly, there's this real kind of sense of passivity. Everything he says is, is like a, he says is evasion, is actually like this sense that he actually really doesn't give a shit. Mm. There's no interest in governing. He's a cheerleader. Mm. He's a he's a booster. He's going to pump everyone up until everyone else just finds solutions. Yeah, and he's doing the London Mayor thing as Prime Minister. Yeah, you know he's being Britain's special little guy rather than. Mm. And it doesn't mean, I just think it's kind of dangerous to think that he's this relatively passive kind of classical liberal who's just going to let everything stew because I don't think him being Prime Minister necessarily means we're not going to get classic butcher hierarchical Tories. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that their ideas might not be the leading edge of that because what we saw in Rona was when everything locked down, when everything but the bare essentials were stripped away, we found out exactly what people in government thought were the bare essentials. Hmm. Um, he might not want like tech boom accelerationism or he might not want, you know, a return to social conservatism or strict monetarism or, hmm. you know, any Keynesianism or anything like that. But the impulses for that to happen, are going to happen as we come out of COVID with those who have the most money and the most power in hand, which is probably going to be something like the tech the tech sector and the future that they envision for Britain. Yeah. If government is being encouraged to be kind of yes-men, to say yes to things, spurred on by deficiencies in capitalist institutions that were left during Brexit, mm. they're not part of them anymore, then it's going to be these, as we've seen in Rona, constant shortcuts, constant cutting corners every yeah. time. And again, if they're yes men, they're going to say yes to the most, the thing with the most mojo, the thing with the most like uh, potential to show, not necessarily imbue, but to show how much energy they have and how fucking big their dick is. Look how long I can sustain this erection. Yeah, and it really opens up to be literally the most rubiest, the most rube administration of all time. And it's just interesting that while Kim Ledbetter mm-hmm. gets into a major newspaper when she's standing an MP and has to apologise for it and justify yeah. why she's standing for an MP, yeah. Boris gets a treatment whereby you see what you're offered. You see the most consumptive man who's ever existed, who just consumes everything around him, doesn't give anything back. Mm. And he has a hidden depth. Yeah. Yeah. And you're seeing the pattern of media bias and you're seeing there the pattern two, that this is going to like There are two take. sides to this man, not this man is a liar. There are multifaceted layers to this man. He's yeah. like an onion. And yeah, as long as, you know, like you're, 
I don't understand why no one in Labour can see that apologising all the time and taking this tack just won't work. I mean, I'm not sure anything will work against this because the British system is set up for supremacy. Yeah. Well, it seems like, Dominance, like, but like Boris, you know, he's never going to have imposter syndrome, ever. And the Labour Party's main plan is seeming to be to tell everyone that they're sorry about their imposter syndrome. Yeah. At all times. And maybe that will make them popular. That's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo. Follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. about the fighting game.